This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to a podcast of Rare Antiquities. Today again, we are continuing our review of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Today we are going to do Episodes 4 and 5. My name is Harry, and I'll be your host for today's show. Okay. I guess I'm Jeff. I don't know. We haven't been introducing ourselves in a while, so... I like to keep you on your toes, Jeff. Yes, you apparently go. so. And mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think we have one more passenger today. Yeah, oh, sorry. Was that my <laughs> cue to jump in there? Sorry. That's right. Uh, and this is Nathan, yeah, in some capacity, I guess. I don't <laughs> Welcome back, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty, pretty good, good, actually, yeah. All right. Episode 5 dropped today. Just finished watching it. Jeff, I think you just said the same thing. So let's get right into it here. So, again, we want to talk about this high level and breeze through the episode. We'll just talk about episode 4 first. So we'll isolate this one. So a couple things I'd like to break it out into a few things here to just kind of organize our thoughts. One is just the MacGuffin of the episode. Episode 3 had left off with Vatic portaling the, the torpedoes and Riker saying, fuck you to Picard and get off the bridge. And they're starting a descent into this nebula. They have no power. So I'd like to talk about just that whole plot about them dealing with this problem and them getting out of it. And then another aspect to the episode, which we'll break separately, is stuff about Vatic. And then the next thing also will be the Jack and Picard scenes together where they're on the holodeck bar. I think those are the main three things. I know other things happen and are sprinkled in the episode, and you can move them into whichever section you want to talk about that. Like, you know, you have Beverly doing stuff, and there's Shaw and Seven doing stuff, but they kind of weave in and out of these main threads. So let's start with just the main MacGuffin and the plot they're trying to get out of the nebula, and they successfully do so. But let's talk about all this stuff. So, uh, Jeff, give me your thoughts just regarding this aspect of the episode here. felt like a welcome classic Star Trek type of plot where we're stuck in this situation, in this whatever random sci-fi situation, and we need to put our heads together and science the shit out of it. So that was great. Stuck in a nebula? Star Trek. Fantastic. I think they overplayed the direness of the situation. Like, well, there's no way out of this. We're all goners. And, like, we're watching the show. It's episode four. Like, we know there's a way out of this. You've got to get out of this. So. Can I expand yeah. on that? So the first point I wrote down, literally on the sheet, is what the fuck? Why are they just giving up immediately? Beverly's yeah. on top of things. And this is a shout out to Beverly. She's the star here. And probably episode four and five to me. She's on top of things. She's doing Starfleet stuff. And she has agency. What the fuck is going on with Riker and Picard? And especially Riker here. We're just going to give up. And he goes into this trauma shit about his child and why he left to come be with Picard and go on this adventure, even though in episode one they were dealing with the trauma, the family trauma of the loss of Thaddeus, and together as Riker and Troy. I know he drops a line saying, Troy doesn't want me dealing with this dark stuff, so I decided to, you know, jettison myself off that planet, which isn't healthy for their relationship. So he's escaping that, and he says, well, I found this void again, and I can't escape it. I'm just giving up. And Picard essentially does the same thing, and so does Shaw, essentially. Like, what's going on with him? I know he is in a cast, 
and Crimea River. It's his ship. It's his crew. And he just sits in his quarters. And then I know he comes around at the end and helps out a little bit. But I'm just perplexed about the agency of these characters. There's no authenticity. It's forced drama to me. I thought I'd just ask you guys this. It, it well, bugged me. Shaw's on drugs. So there's that. I'm not going to well, hold him to it. Well, uh, what do you mean? Medical drugs because he was injured? Yeah. He's uh, on painkillers. They, they say as much. Well, I'm not going to let that fly. But anyways... I've been on painkillers, too. Doesn't mean I just give up on my life. But anyways, let's continue. Well, if somebody gave you strong painkillers and dropped you into a black hole, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like You are yeah, a I've like, painkillers, too, but nobody dropped me. Like, nobody pushed me off of a ledge after they gave me the painkillers. I might have a different opinion. The giving up is... Immediately. Like, they don't just scan. They don't do anything. It's just, nope, we're done. Lost power. And Riker get, leaves his bridge. That's the problem I have here. It's yeah. the way they execute the story. It's like one thing, like Beverly's doing some investigation, but they don't even bother scanning and talking about, nah, did, what about this? What about this? What about this option? And then they can do that. I want to give you guys an example, and it's maybe a poor example. In TNG, there was that Nagilam episode that we've talked about briefly before, Jeff, and Love that episode. episode, which is a great where episode. Silence, where Silence has least. One of my That's correct. One of the highlights of season two. Exactly. Agreed. Now, what they do, they don't give up. They not fight Nagilam, but they're trying to figure out a way out of all of this. Then they take maybe five minutes because there is no, it seems that there is no escape. But they did all that they could before they reached that point, and then they have a sit-down discussion about death and what that means. And that's a good Star Trek character moment. And I don't mind Riker and Picard and all these people having their moments. And Picard will talk to Jack because it's, you know, potential end of days. And they need and we need downtime in a show, which was a little bit more action-y previously. So this is a breather episode. Fine. I just don't like how they presented it. It's like it's an immediate give up to me. I don't know if you guys felt that way. That's how it felt to me. I'm with you, Harry. Every Star Trek series, I'm not sure about Discovery, but certainly like everything from even the original series all the way up through Enterprise, they've had episodes where like, we are fucked if we don't figure this out right now. And yes, like in the episode you're, you're referring to with Nagilam, when they're going to kind of like blow up the ship, that happens like towards the end of the episode. And before that, they're trying everything. And I was so shocked that it's like, We've got no power. I mean, there's a little bit of lip service sort of at the start of, like, trying to figure out how to, like, power things or whatever. I think the problem is that in all the other shows where we've seen this done better, they have, like, the regular cast, like, who are strong performers in their roles, like, saying, okay, we could do this, we could try that. But the crew of this ship is so bizarre in that it's, like, their first day on the job and everyone's freaking out. And when they hit that bar, it's like they're... Like everyone is just resigned to death immediately out of the gate. Funny thing is, is like I think the LaForge character and whoever the other ensign is on the bridge, who's on the who's pilot navigating the ship or whatever, or the Vulcan science officer. I didn't get any, you know, let's just throw my hands up in the air. We give up. This is coming from Riker and Picard. That's true. I mean, although I will say, I mean, I do like the general premise, as Jeff said, like where this is this is very Star Trek and like yeah, some I of agree. my favorite bottle episodes. DS9 had a couple like this that were I thought were really great. But yeah, like him kind of giving up and also like it's it's kind of weird that we're just they just kind of get into the drama 
the character pieces like right away as opposed to a lot of the things that we love about Trek is just like the techno babble stuff, right? And I don't know, I'm sort of in between, I guess, kind of on on it between you guys as far as like I don't know okay. where I where I fall. Okay, Jeff, sorry, I know I kind of stopped your thought process, but I'm, what do I'm, you think about I that? I get the impression that you had something to say about that. <laughs> I have a lot of things to say in these two episodes, Jeff, so let's continue. Listen, I hear what you're saying. I really do, and I didn't get – it was back and forth for me. I didn't quite get the, well, we're done. Uh, everybody go about your business about it. So, like, character by character, I mean, they were in a dire situation. They didn't really even have any power to research what was going on, right? And I think that there were certain aspects going on that have been – that the groundwork's been laid for that made sense to me for the episode. One, like Riker, and there's a couple things going on here, but what they set up for him is he's gone through a lot of darkness and he hasn't reckoned with any of it. But this is his opportunity to try to reckon with it, at least, and to, you know, to say how sorry he was and, you know, kind of like face all of this darkness that he just couldn't deal with before. And he's like, well, this is very likely it, and it's now or never, and he knows that he needs to do it. In a similar way with Picard, where he is trying so desperately to get to know his son, and what's, like, why even bother if we're going to be dead to get to know somebody, like, we're both going to be gone. But in this future in Star Trek, they're not, or rather, their culture doesn't fear death. They understand that these are the things that are going to happen. So the desperation doesn't exist for them because they know that this is what they signed up for. And they know that like death is just a thing that happens to everybody and their evolved sensibilities have allowed them to move past some of that inability to reckon with that that, that concept that we all struggle with. And and they've shown that plenty of times in, in episodes in the past. It's not always consistent, though. So, you know, I can hear the argument against, but okay, that's okay. kind of what I got. And okay, can I add then another layer to this? So we can talk. So Beverly comes up, because we're still talking about this one concept about the plot MacGuffin to get out of the nebula. So Beverly's on top of things, seeing that this is probably some kind of organic contraction. It's a life form. They can use the waves, those energy pulses, bioelectric energy pulses, to surf out of the nebula. Very cool. I love this concept. Like we talked about, you guys already mentioned, this is something that we do in a bottle episode of Star Trek. They figure out the problem, and then they ride it out, and that's cool. I like all that. But even as Beverly and Jack describe the plan with Picard to Riker, he still says, he said before, we're dead in four hours or less. And then he goes, are you guys insane? We should just sit here and wait to be rescued. (laughs) (laughs) This is lit. I, I watched the episode again today, guys. He literally says that, and it's fucking stupid. So this is a writing problem. So this is where I'm coming from. His logic was, like, we need to conserve energy to last as long as possible in the hopes that somebody's going to rescue us. But no one's coming into that nebula, though. So there's no logic to what he's saying. You know what I mean? And they're outside of Federation space as well. So who's No, but they also know that Vatic wants Jack. Yes. They know that. They want him alive. So they're banking on the possibility that that will be rescued or they will somebody that not necessarily doesn't have to be Federation. It's like the strategy is we're out of options. We need to conserve our resources. Our hope is that just by blind, dumb luck, somebody is going to find us. It's not a great strategy, but, like, it's like the Titanic going under. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Like, you're hoping to get rescued, right? All those lifeboats. 
I think the issue at hand, though, and Harry, tell me if, if this is kind of how you feel, is that Riker is this like is uncharacteristically passive about all of this. Like normally he would be you think he would be more welcoming of like suggestions to get them out. Of there. I understand. Like I, I agree. Yeah, that's that's like, where I'm coming from. He's got like, OK, we got to conserve as much energy as possible. But the problem, though, is that like the situation does not lend it's it's not like they've sent out a distress signal yes vatic wants jack alive but that does not necessarily like he's not working towards like okay if we can just contact her and like make a deal yeah like you could have sent out a beacon if that's his plan hope that vatic could be the one because she does want that's what you're saying jeff is logical but then they could have solved that problem in a right in the writer's room and they say okay then they're going to send out a beacon of where they're located hopefully then vatic will track that down and that's what they're hoping for Instead, it's just do nothing. That's the problem. That's what the episode shows us. And they do it for the forced drama and tension about his the loss of his child. And I'm all for exploring that with Riker. And I think it should be more organically spread out through the season. And we know Troy will eventually probably come back in the season instead of just on screen there. And then they, he can then have these words to her that he has here in this episode at the end once they do escape the nebula and say, I'm now looking at, you know, I have refound some joy and hope in my life because I saw that death in that void and I chose to be more positive and live and not just live physically, but live with you and the remaining child, which is what he should be doing. But anyway, we're segregating, but that's kind of where I am. Yeah, to me, forced drama and tension, which to me betrays the character of Riker and others and their experience and intelligence. And that's more my problem lies here. It's a nitpick, but I mean, it's just very strange to me. For time, let's move on. So let's talk about Vatic here. What's going on? Is she a changeling? She's answering to something that looks like a changeling. The special effects make it seem that way. So what's happening here? She cuts off her hand. She's outside the nebula. And then she answers to some other thing there. Yeah. Uh, Nathan or anyone. Oh, the floor's open. No, let Nathan go. Okay. So, I mean, I, I immediately got the impression that she's a changeling because I think at this point, like, we've now seen the changeling on the Titan change, right? And, the, and it's like, hey, we sort of see, like, the style, I guess, that they're going to use for the show. And so when yeah. she cuts her hand off, it's very similar. So I don't know why you need to use her flesh, for lack of a better term, to... I guess it's actually to animate the face, so it's like, you have holographic technology. Well, I like, wonder if they have, like... She's pretty sadistic, actually. I, I, I wonder <laughs> if they have, like, something with their physiology to communicate, you know, like kind of like the mycelial network and discovery, where, like, it's that organism that allows that sort of extra... Right, yeah. ...spatial whatever, so I don't know, maybe that's part of it. Well, maybe we'll find out. But yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, it was a little weird, although I'm not, like, I'm not really convinced, though, that who she was talking to is necessarily another changeling, which would have made sense if it's like they have like a way to communicate like over the great link. If I remember right. if that's what it was called in DS nine, like yes. over a subspace or something like that. Well, but well, I don't know if they could communicate like that sub over subspace, but well, no, anyway. but well, I mean, maybe now, right. Cause yeah. we'll learn it's, later that they sort of kind of up their game a little bit. Right. So that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always kind of like it when you have like badass villain who's now it's like, Oh, there's somebody more badass than them. It's kind of tropey, but I always do kind of like that. Cause it, at least gives like maybe some depth to certain types of villains who like not everyone can be con, right? So I kind of like like having like a villain who's like, okay, you know, even I answer to someone. I liked a lot of just kind of like the look of it and like kind of like just sort of the weirdness 
of just using like her body in order to like embody this communication device. It's weird. I do sort of like, okay, we're kind of utilizing like some of the weirdness that the changelings are. I don't know. There wasn't really kind of much else there, although I did have to wonder like, very kind of lackadaisical about like actually trying to get Jack. Well, he's in the nebula. It's just like, well, you better go get. It's like, well, I guess. And that happens like later in the episode mm-hmm. a little bit. It feels like so not a lot of hustle on that. No, there wasn't a lot of hustle. <laughs> no, there wasn't a lot of hustle. However, she did say that them going back into the nebula would harm their ship. Yeah. That- the weapons that they had, based on the scans of the nebula, it would actually do a lot of damage to their ship. And I believe they actually jettison the portal technology. Yeah, they did. Uh, before they go back into the nebula because of that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was some cool scenes. I mean, I do like the look of, like, the interior of the ship. It kind of reminds me of some old school track. Like from the movies and the early seasons of TNG, the, how they would show Klingon ships. Mm-hmm. It's like dark and smoky and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I think it looks cool. There wasn't really enough Batic in this. Yeah. For, I mean, I, me. I mean, I just feel like Plummer just needs like a bit more to, to do. Yeah. I guess. And I, so I'm hoping she gets more later. And yeah, I'll jump in and then Jeff, you can finish this topic off. I mean, I agree with you, Nathan. It's kind of cool to see that there's a bigger player involved. So I'm not mind, and I, I liked all of the visual effects, and it was kind of weird and cool, and I'm open to the new idea, and we'll talk about changelings evolving and all that stuff. So all of that's fine. Makes sense. I liked it. But just with Amanda Plummer, I was hoping that she would be the bat. You know, so there's part of me that's a bit disappointed. We'll see how this all plays out. I was kind of a little disheartened to see that she was now answering, and she's a subordinate to somebody else or something else. And... That was kind of a bit disappointing for me to learn that, even though it was kind of cool. But again, it still could work out very, very well. How about just to finish off Vatic, because she's not in a lot of the episode. She does go back into the nebula, and at the end, Riker throws, as they're riding the wave out, Riker does throw the asteroid against the ship uh, with the tractor beam. Again, awesome scene. And one other thing I'd like to point out is that I like how Riker gave Picard the captain's chair again, so he could do the maneuvering thrusters like he did. It was a throwback to one of those episodes where they were in the booby trap in the asteroid field, Mm -hmm. where he had to use the thrusters, Picard, to navigate around the asteroids. So I think this was a throwback to that, and I liked how Riker recognized that, and then Picard finally in the action in the captain's chair. So I dug all that stuff. So Jeff, you talk about Vatic and just the conclusion of them escaping the nebula and all that stuff. Was that episode called Booby Trap? I think it was called Booby Trap, yeah. I think so, yes. Yeah, Booby Trap. Booby Trap. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a great callback there. (laughs) This is a nitpick, but so you had one person calling out coordinates, right? The coordinates, and then Picard punching it in and then calling out instructions for somebody else to punch in <laughs> the coordinates to come in. I'm like, you know, you I guys know. could probably, you could probably eliminate one of these layers here. Just, just yeah, to, no middleman, no middleman. Yeah, exactly. Just one person. Yeah, Speed this right. up a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. a cool callback. It's very Star Trek, though, because, yes. like, there's, I, that's one thing in, in Star Trek that's always, I've always kind of thought was funny was that when they have to, like, basically, like, yeah. lie up something or time something perfectly it's somebody saying now and somebody does it based on somebody like visually watching something on a screen which should be on occasion like beyond human perception and they still get it done 
<laughs> just, yeah. And yeah. Star Trek, I mean, that's in sci-fi a lot, but like Star Trek does it all the time. Star Trek, that's, yeah, it, it, it yeah. is. Uh, so this it's is a Star Trek thing, yes. Yeah. I agree. The only solution to that, and they smartly realized that it was dumb, is in Star Trek Insurrection when the joystick pops up out of the oh, console oh, and Riker's steering the what? ship. It's like, Why oh, bring that up. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, let's go back to shouting coordinates. That that worked a lot better. <laughs> I purged that from my memory back. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's just so weird that they did that. Anyway, <laughs> I would have liked to see more of Attic. I think she's great. I'm, I mean, obviously, we're going to see more of her later. I was confused. I guess, see, here's what I thought. I thought that she wasn't a changeling, but I thought that she was somehow, like, merged with a changeling. You thought, or that's what you think? Well, that's what I thought at the time. I, I guess they and don't actually explicitly spell out that she just, is a changeling, but it's just a, but but she reabsorbs well, her hand, right? Yeah, but why did she look like it hurt when she yeah, cut it off? Weird. I yeah, was I like, know. that's why I was like, there's yeah. something like grafted onto her. Or so, we'll get into the next episode where they're actually becoming more evolved. These yeah, and that could it, be yeah. the thing. So. so that's probably more the explanation. That's why, yeah. So maybe that's why. She did that. So, and that, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, either way is fine. But yeah, I can't wait to see more of her. Okay, awesome. How about the end, just with Riker throwing the asteroid out, just to wrap this up before they go to warp and escape the nebula? Very cool. No, it was great. They seem to have good action instincts in this film. Like we've referenced Insurrection and like Nemesis. And those films had really tepid action sequences. And they were trying to be more sort of swashbuckling. Well, even First Contact tried to be more like adventure movies as opposed to Star Trek sci-fi. I guess a lot of the Star Trek movies are like that. I think what they've done a good job of capturing here is that cinematic Star Trek sensibility where this is an adventure story, less guess, traditional Star Trek. And I feel like for the most part, they're really pulling off some of those action beats. They're not shying away from the starship action. Even when you watch the movies, they always struggled with how to make the starship action really work, and it's usually really minimal, right? Mm -hmm. And they're diving headlong in the series. Yes, and very cinematic. Cinematic, yeah, I agree. I think they're doing a really good job with it. Yeah, it was awesome. How about you, Nathan? Just to wrap up this point in the episode, the action scene there, Riker throwing the asteroid, any other comments? Uh, no, I mean, I thought it looked cool. You know, some nice throwbacks. And, and yeah, like, it, it's certainly one of the better, like, kind of action sequences out of, like, a Star Trek show, I guess. Yeah, which which is typically not, like, an like an action series. So, it, like, it's, like, a weird thing where it's, like, it should be more, like, submarine action, but they don't want to go fully Star Wars with it. So it, it's always, like, a weird hybrid. But I thought it was actually pretty exciting, the way that the episodes end and just, like, the tension of getting out of the nebula and stuff like that was, I thought, really cool. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Another point just in this episode, just to move along here, we talk about like some of the downtime. So Jack and mainly Jack and Picard in the holodeck bar as they're waiting for death <laughs> instead of figuring things out as we've talked about. But just their conversation, what did you guys think of them two together and anything you've learned about the characters here? Uh, Nathan, how about yourself? You know what? Nothing there worked for me. Not really. I mean, I, I kind of wish there was not like a reconciling of like father and son coming together. One thing we haven't really brought up is like the flashbacks and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. They interspersed throughout the episode. When actually the episode first started like five years ago, I was like, ugh. 
Actually, like, I think they've started every episode so far this year, with except for episode five, the next one with yeah. flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and that is like one of my most hated TV tropes of like five years ago, a week ago, five minutes. I was like, oh, I hate that. And they even did that. Like they've done that throughout Picard, the TV series, a number of times. Anyway. I don't know, like, I don't even really remember much about their conversation. There's a couple of nice little things, I think, like, I love the point that he talks, they make the hair joke, because the first thing he goes, let's talk about the the elephant in the room, not the father-son dynamic, it's about the hair. The hair, okay, (laughs) and that really bugged me, because, like, okay. It comes from the mom's side. It comes from the mom's side, and, like, Mm -hmm. in the 25th century, you assholes should have figured it out. That's not true. That's a myth that it comes from the mother's side. Is it? Yeah. No. You sure? Yeah. But on the other hand, it is also true that by the 25th century, probably they'd have sorted they've sorted it out. Well, not only sorted out, but like the whole idea, though, because I, I remember well, they like, don't when, they don't care. That's that's the whole they thing. Don't yeah, they don't They're care. Not supposed yeah. to care. They're not vain, even though they are vain. They're not vain. Well, there's a lot of things we thought about the future that shouldn't be true and yet are, as we'll get to in the next episode, I think. So there's another interesting point here. Picard says, "What? What are you? 22, 23 years old? Mm. My goodness, the act." looks like he's in his late 30s, early 40s. He, he's in his late, like mid to late 30s. So it's like, I don't no, know no, what no, the no. fuck he's not. He's not in his late 30s. Ed okay, Spielers? Well, yeah, you feel free to look it up. I'm just saying he's, he looks he's like. He, he, he he's look, not, not, yeah, he's not as young as he says he is. Uh, you know, yeah, like, but he looks old is what I'm saying. He's not a young, he doesn't have that youthful look. Even, you know, some actors, even though they're older, they can play younger characters. He is not one of those type of actors. That's just what I thought. But I did like their conversation a little bit there. I'll just kind of make this other point. So the episode ends still about Picard and Jack. So you talked about those flashbacks. The end of the episode shows that Jack actually did try and visit Picard with all those cadets were asking him, you know, in the flashback five years ago about Picard's adventure on this and that. And he's saying, we got to work as a team. And as long as you're with your crewmates and you trust each other, you'll get out of any scenario. You know, there's no such thing as a no-win scenario. Then Stranger Jack asks Picard, just because he's just a patron in the bar, well, well, what about family? And then Picard goes, well, Starfleet was my family. And then that was the test (laughs) that Jack gave his biological father when other Starfleet cadets are, you know, pestering Picard, and he's supposed to be a role model saying, what is he going to do? Starfleet's not enough to these young cadets? And I wish I should have dropped all of this shit and had my fa- had a family in front of these cadets. And that's the test that Jack gave his father. I found that ridiculous. That's just me. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I kind of do. He's testing Picard about family. This is like in the past, five years ago. So Picard doesn't know who Jack is. Jack's He's also like some weird shady guy with a ball cap, like sitting back at the <laughs> that's right. bar there. But yeah. what did he expect Picard to say? He's in front of like a dozen cadets. Yeah. Who are, you know, just over well, here. You know, what did he say? Starfleet's not enough? Well, so no, find another I mean, career? No, but I mean, it's at the same time, like, I mean, it's probably pretty well known that Picard, like, he doesn't have a family. So, like, why would he say, oh, I so wish I had, like, a family? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a weird scene. I don't know. I did kind of like it in the sense that, you know, he sort of sees, like, the man, the myth, and the legend all at the same time. Talking to these cadets who, like, are really rude. She let the man, like, finish his lunch. <laughs> yes, that's Which I feel like that scene was based on Sir Patrick's, like, real life. Like, people <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to have some fish and chips here. You assholes. Yeah. That's right. 
Any comments there, Jeff? I think it's a little unfair on Jack to judge him in this matter, in that scenario. People act unfairly sometimes. Oh, you disappoint me. (laughs) They do, though, right? I mean, he would have been 17 years old in that scene. (laughs) Or Ed Spielers Spielers is 35 right now, so they filmed this two and a half years ago, so early 30s. But in that scene, he's 17, mm-hmm. right? That's the yeah. math, right? So, like, sure. I don't expect a 17-year-old to act, to treat people fairly. I kind of like the sort of thread of it where he's just, like, he's just trying to have lunch and these douchebags are coming up and being, like, <gasps> and fanboying out in front of him. And at first, he's a little like, <sighs> okay, sure, no problem. And then he's into it, yeah. which is great because, like, I feel like that actually probably does speak to their real-life experiences. You know, people come up and it's like, oh, man, but then... They do love it. Like, they keep doing it, and they do love it. And what I think, you know, the meta aspect of it is there is, like, when they actually do deal with respectful, maybe overzealous, but, like, devoted fans who actually do want to know about them, like, they probably start getting into it. So that started to kind of – that was really working for me as it went. It broke a little bit for me. This is just a nitpick in his delivery of the line at the end where Jack comes in and he's like, what about family and all that? And he's like, he says it so derisively. Well, Starfleet is the only family I ever needed, or words to that effect. He said it so dismissively of biological family. That was what didn't ring true to me because we know that family actually was important to him. Not necessarily getting a wife and having kids part of the family because he's already told us in the past to kind of let go of that. But, you know, he had a brother and his nephew and, you know, tragically lost them and and all of that. So, like, part of that did matter to him. So I don't think the delivery was quite there. You know, again, like, that's okay. That it set Jack off kind of makes sense. Is it, was it fair? No, but he's a fucking kid who's – he went there to try to – I mean, we don't know. Well, maybe we'll get <laughs> – I just look at it as a very strange way to judge somebody. You know, it's one thing if he was the one who approached him pretending to be the fanboy, and they had a one-on-one, and Picard just forgot his face. And at that point, because they look at the end there, like Picard, at the end of this episode when that happened, Picard then, it's a weird thing, it's like Picard suddenly remembered that one scene <laughs> in his memory. Oh, oh, we know, Jack was there. No, no, I don't know that. I know, it's know that for pre- sure. Yes, you're right. But it's just how it's presented to the audience. But what also, would have worked better a- is Aaron, that... Everybody yeah. knows when you're wearing a baseball cap, nobody recognizes you. Everybody knows that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, but you know where I'm coming from. I think it would have been interesting if it was actually Jack who came and fanboyed over him and then grilled him and figured all that out. That might have been interesting. I don't disagree with that rewrite. I think that probably... And that would have triggered Picard, because he was asking, why didn't you come and me or seek me out and all that stuff? And then Picard has that memory. Well, shit, now I know where he's from. It's like, oh, yeah, fuck, I must have lost that in the fucking transfer to the synthetic body that I now (laughs) occupy. (laughs) One isolinear chip. Sorry, kid. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, last thing I want to bring up in this episode, very quickly. Shaw bringing up Wolf 359 in, you know... I'm a little confused. I know you're talking about painkillers and all this stuff, but he can walk around. Shouldn't he be going to the bridge and saying, I have a responsibility to my crew? Even though I handed over a captaincy to Riker as a temporary measure, I know this ship like the back of my hand. I should be doing what I can. Instead, he seems so disinterested in that, and his focus is to berate Picard about Wolf 359. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this at all. He, he said he was on drugs and that he shouldn't be saying I, I, this. I don't care. I don't like this neuroses from this character. He's unfit to be captain. Yeah, I'll give you an example. No, no, I'll give you an example. So I wrote this down. This first thing that came to my head. Miles O'Brien, both in TNG and on DS9, there's a couple episodes, and he, him dealing with you know people poking at his 
his potential racism or prejudice to Cardassians. But he doesn't let it shake him. Even though deep down inside, there's a bias or whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't let him shake his responsibility in how he acts. This is a role model. This is someone who I have verisimilitude and authenticity. I can believe he's in Starfleet. Now I'm presented with this douchebag captain who swears every other word, who's into pot. Oh, I wish I was we were talking about pot so I can get even more high. And I'm just going to, we're facing death, and I'm just going to walk around and bitch about Wolf 359. Let it go, dude. This is bullshit. Again, that's just me. I'm not a fan of this character. I know you guys will disagree. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree that he's a dick, but I mean... I mean, uh, just let it go. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> let it go. The fact that you that I was in this extraordinarily traumatic situation where thousands of people were murdered in cold blood. And, and yeah, it's just not, let it go, it's, bro. It's not Picard's fault. It's not, he's able to quote almost every single mission. He does it again next episode about other things that Picard and Riker got into, but he doesn't have the details that Picard was kidnapped, tortured, well, they, and not at fault. He just oh, they know that. That. No, let it go. Have some sense of maturity and let it go. It's oh, ridiculous. Okay. I don't know. It is far from ridiculous. It's totally believable. He's not right. You dislike your you assholes cannot... a little too much there. Okay, so you think that Cisco was wrong then? But he came around right away. No, not right away. Oh, didn't. oh my goodness. Took him a lot longer than Shaw did. I don't think so. It did. It took him two whole episodes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on episode four. Anyways, and five. It's, it's only been two episodes since he's met Picard. Okay. Anyways, yeah, well, but also keep in mind, like, like, it's not like, oh, they harbored that for two episodes. No, they've been harboring that for years. And, like, for Shaw, it's a lot longer. Yeah, a couple of decades, like, probably, like, 30 years. Yeah, so, like, at least in Cisco's case, I mean, it's been, like, I mean, not, like, it was, like, what, five years or something like that? to get over it. And, you know, people harbor all sorts of, like, weird shit. I'm not saying that he's a fit captain or a good Starfleet captain. I just kind of appreciate the idea that, okay, in Starfleet, sometimes there just are lesser captains. Lesser captains. Fair enough. I'm just saying I'm not a fan. (laughs) That's all. It's just, you know, he's already a dick, and now he's going to dick squared, and then he'll be going to dick cubed, and then (laughs) dick whatever. (laughs) It's just, it's exponential every episode. That's the fifth okay. dimension. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, let's transition into episode five, because episode four ends with this kind of nightmarish scene of Jack experiencing some shit in the mirror, some red vines and whatever's going on. And the, this episode begins with him killing, having kind of a fake, it's a fake out scene. He's having these visions or a dream of him killing the bridge crew. And then he has like red eyes, like he's like a, kind of like a Sith Lord, like Palpatine, watch out. So obviously some shit's going down with him and he's like going to be like what, like kind of some kind of destroyer or something like that. You know, he's going to be, you know, <laughs> I don't know what we'll find out. But what'd you guys think of that? Like what's going on with Jack here. Later on in the episode, he does the John Wick stuff. He admits later to Beverly, he killed all those changelings. He didn't even know they were changelings. He just decided to kill them because they were a threat. I think that's the intent we're supposed to get from it. So why don't we talk about those scenes? Just Jack. What's happening? I know the changelings want him, but what, yeah, what, what do you think? What's going on there? Well, we don't know, but I guess another question I have, Jeff, with all of this stuff that's going on, now it's completely centered we talked about convenience currency. Is this mm-hmm. too convenient now? Now it's Picard's biological son, long lost son, and all of this shit is going down, and he's like something evil, or I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out what's happening, but I don't know. What's your thoughts? Too convenient? Interesting? It's not necessarily too convenient or not, yeah, just because we don't really know the answer. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's convenient. We'll have to see, yeah. 
We just kind of have I, to see, and, and I, I, I'm fine yeah, with I, knowing. I have a hard time believing that it's not going to tie into the fact that it has something to do with, like, lineage and bloodline, basically, right? Like, I mean, like, they want him. They didn't just, like, want Jack, and then, oh, it turns out to be Picard's son. I think that, like, even if it's as dumb as... Like some, like I actually got kind of the impression because we saw this in episode four a little bit at the very end. We see it again in five where there's like a voice that says, find me. I was really reminded of kind of like in Star Trek First Contact where Picard could sort of hear the Borg a little bit because there's like yeah. some element that's still there. It's like, does his son still kind of carry something like that? Cause I wonder, yeah, is this some Borg stuff? I had that thought yeah. too. Yeah, I don't know. So it could be something like that where it's not necessarily – I would be very disappointed if it was just, oh, it just happens to be Picard's son, but they want him for reasons entirely different altogether. It must uh, be some bad batch of vintage Picard vineyard that he drank. That passed through Picard's sperm impregnated. Wow, that, no, that, yeah, that wine was so badly corked. <laughs> it was terrible. It's in his blood now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Some okay, like really snobby, like some wine snobs out there. They're like, <laughs> the Chateau Picard twenty three sixty eight was dog shit. And we're going to execute your son. Or... <laughs> I just love it. That's the whole That would okay. be great. That's it? I would stand up and applaud. Yeah. Slow clap for Star Trek Picard season three. <laughs> it's still better than the previous two seasons. <laughs> oh, awesome. Most of season one and then all of two and three, it's all just like a Picard's fever dream, actually, because he drank a bad he drank that, wine. He right? drank that bad wine. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, he just like wake wakes up, up like Bob Newhart. No, you know what he's yeah. gonna do? He's gonna wake up in the ho- he's gonna wake up in the holodeck during a simulation of the finale of Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> awesome! Perfect. I hope that's the case. That'd be great. Okay, let's talk about Raffi and Worf now. So we didn't see them in Episode Four. So just your thoughts. I'll floor open to what's going on with these two characters, and they're going after this guy named Krill because Sneed is dead. He is a gangster Vulcan who knows something about the stolen weapons and stuff that's going on in the Daystrom Institute. And I have a question. How does, obviously, people know about the Daystrom Institute? I don't know how Starfleet's not more involved, but it could be because Starfleet's now compromised. So that's one of the reasons, probably. But just your thoughts, just Worf, Raffi, the stuff that's going on with them, and, you know, Worf's Rise of Skywalker fake-out death there. Gangster Vulcan's not a thing I thought anybody would ever say. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yes, so am I. I like Kirk Acevedo. Is that the Vulcan? Yeah, I like that act too. Yeah. yeah. What's he been in? He was in Fringe for a little bit. and I don't know what a shrift is, but he got the short one on Fringe, and I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah. When I saw him, I'm like, oh, is that Kirk? Oh, it is too. Cool. He had like the Idic necklace going on there, which is pretty dope. Yeah. And I liked him. It's a weird, it's an interesting character, but he kind of stole the part of the episode for me a little bit. It kind of gets to this weird thing as Star Trek has kind of evolved. And it's like, I like the idea of, you know, a gangster Vulcan and, you know, can sort of, and yeah. there's not enough TV show here to really explore that idea. Yeah. But, but the problem, though, is that, like, in the future, like, we're talking, like, a post... Why is there crime? What are you doing? Well, you no, have replicators. The, <laughs> you know? the Federation, for the most part, is a post-scarcity society. But outside of that, like, yeah, you have replicators, but you need... Like, replicators work on, like, matter energy conversion, which takes ungodly amounts of energy. So you need that energy has got to come from somewhere. I guess. Therefore, there is going to be scarcity for places that don't have it. Therefore, there's an economy and there's economy, there's crime. So it kind of fits. 
the culture of the Federation when we see it in Star Trek, and they've explored this, uh, you know, underneath, which is not always, always true, is that, like, they just have abundance of energy. So it doesn't matter. This is not a Federation world. Well, I don't want to, like, get too down this rabbit hole, but it's like, why don't people just then, like, emigrate into the Federation? It feels like because overly wel- uh, welcoming people. Because they don't want to drink the root beer. I was just going to say that. Oh, God. I was just going to say root beer. <laughs> beer. I know Harry's not a big fan of Michelle Hurd, but I think that she and uh, Doran... No, I liked her the- in this episode. Finally. Yeah, uh, yeah, she was good. They have pretty good chemistry. I like them I together. I would say it's amazing chemistry, but it's no, not improvement. Amazing, it's, it's improvement. I like the fight scene. I think Doran got in a couple action scenes there instead of a stunt double. Very cool to see. He's meditating like Qui-Gon, like a boss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he is a boss. He is a boss like Qui-Gon. No, no. Qui-Gon's a boss <laughs> like Worf. Worf's the original boss. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I love both. No, no, I didn't say you shouldn't love. I didn't say anything against Qui Gon, but like he came after. Qui Gon's my man. He has replaced what? Luke Skywalker for me. He's okay. the boss. It's the goatee, isn't it? No, no, he's just the goat. Qui Gon. <laughs> it's not there the goatee. Go. There's not goatee. He's just the goat. I think they're drawing this stuff out a little bit too much. Like, Raffi goes to this place to the crime lord, and they kill the guy, and they go back to the ship, and they talk to the computer again, and then they go back to the world. Like, it's a little bit repetitive. Like, they're just, like, they are drawing it out and feel the stretch in the story here. Yeah. So, I think they needed to, like, tighten this up a little bit. doesn't need to take as much time as it's taking. It's, it's got filler written all over it, but now that I say that, episodes, or sorry, seasons one and two of Picard were like 98% filler. and like it, 10%. And at least the filler is watchable. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. I agree, 100%. I like the little switcheroo as well, you know, with the mobile emitter mm. that Rafi's, yeah. and then also still the tables the, uh, the, ar- the, uh, the total recall maneuver. Which is? Please refresh my memory. It's total recall. The mobile, hol- the, hol- with, with the, the hologram switcheroo they do in the alien. Oh, world. yes. Yes, that is correct. Shame on yeah, you. I don't, I don't know if that's the Arnold maneuver. Trying to adapt to the Star Trek, which is why I was like... You had to say, you think this is the real Raffi? Is, or, or it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> that's right. So I like that, but I will say this. I knew right away Worf was not going to die oh, when she stabbed not. him. and Because I knew also he would have won. He's letting it. I would have said, even if it wasn't the immediate, he would go behind the scenes right away, take those guys down and turn the tables on the bad guys. But I felt he would have just left himself open with the trust that she would have stabbed him in a non-vital yeah. area and then play dead. So I knew that right away. But I did write down, if he died at the hands of Raffi, I'm done with this. I'm done with Star Trek forever. <laughs> I wrote that I've right. I canceled. Podcast is canceled. We're done. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna... burning all my Blu-rays. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to go watch The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yes. How bad that's it is. Correct. That's the worst punishment. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but I dug all of that. Uh, Nathan, how about yourself? Talking about Worf and Raph. Yeah, I, it, it's a little sad that to actually give Rafi a better character, you got to pair her up with Worf. Because I just kind of found, like, the first couple of episodes with just her, it's just like, I was like, oh, I, I just don't find her. Parts of her character are compelling. I just think that the writing is really bad. But yeah, to see Doran show up, that was a lot of fun. I did sort of wonder why they didn't give him like the traditional batlith. I wonder if just like that more Klingon sword is just a little more Worf a little more dynamic. way back in First Contact, or even back in DS9, I think he moved to the swords. Yeah, I think at First Contact I, right? is when you first saw. It. Well, yeah. 
I think, yeah, first contact, we first saw it. He used those swords, and then on Deep Space Nine, he would have sparring he, sessions he, with Dax yeah, in the holodeck. Yeah, yeah, but they both he, used it, yeah. I think he said something about, like, how the Batleth was too slow. I could be misremembering this, but I'm pretty did he, sure... I, did, he, did he not kill he, Gowron with a Batleth? Well, he did, because it was at hand, and it was awesome. Okay. He did okay. switch. He did switch? Okay. I don't I don't remember that specific from DS9, but I'll trust you on that. I guess it just kind of works a little better for an action scene. But, yeah, I thought, like, a lot of that was pretty cool. I mean... I, I sort of thought that, yeah, overall, like, yeah, they're really dragging that out. I really did kind of like the idea of having Vulcan criminals, although I, even though I sometimes kind of question the idea of, like, how does that work exactly, but they weren't raised whatever. On Vulcan. What's that? They, well, they weren't, they, weren't, they weren't raised on Vulcan. I get that. But, you know, he's still trying to sort of be Vulcan-esque of, like, well, that's logical, sort of thing. It's like, well... He, he turned criminal once they lost Spock Prime. That was it. That was the last straw for him. Hmm. Yeah. Um, beat. Yeah. That's actually yeah. a legit explanation. Like, oh, man. <laughs> that is. Wow. Life ain't the same. We're done. That's the species. Anyways, um, continue. But, yeah, anyways, yeah. I mean, there's not really much else for to kind of say about it. I mean, I, I do sort of get a little bit annoyed when they try and do the fake out of, like, oh, so-and-so is dead. It's like, no, this is not the, the last episode of this. Like, it just doesn't have, well, like, we, the They know that we know. We know that they know. But They're it, not but trying it, to fake us out. We know. I know. But when you continually do it, it's like, I know you're not dead at the end of episode three, the whole ship. And, it, like, I get it. It's like, you got you to gotta put them in danger and stuff like that. But it's just like, why are you continuing to kind of do it? So Well, I think that's an issue with serialized storytelling, right, in a season. You know, how do you make any stakes or put any tension? So, obviously, that's... It's a little yeah. difficult to balance, right? Right. It's not Game of Thrones where everybody's anybody's fair game. You know, like they know that, but they still have to kind of be yeah. honest with the storytelling. And yes, yeah, so you have to. Yeah, you have to put people in danger and such. I'm, I'm just sort of saying that's like you know maybe sprinkle it in. You're not Game of Thrones. People don't need to be dying or like the fear of death like all the time. I guess I, I don't know. There's just something that just rings a little bit weird to me when they sort of do that. Now, this is not the only show that does it, but. Okay. Jeff, any other comments on Worf, Rafi, Gangster Vulcan, or should we move on? No. This Daystrom stuff's going to lead to Jordy and Lore. That's so, what I was assuming, oh, too. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. got to be. So, anyways, okay, so let's talk about now the special cameo guest appearance by Commander... Oh, we got the drum roll rolling on the background. Commander Roe Laren has come back and then leaves. <laughs> I guess. Let's have a chat about, you know, the USS Intrepid. So they escaped, and Shaw had contacted Starfleet. So Starfleet sends the Intrepid. They send over Roe with a couple of security officers who eventually end up killing Roe because they're changelings. But let's talk about all this. Roe does reveal that Starfleet is compromised. Changelings are everywhere. We can also intervene the plot point because Beverly is, again, the star so far of the season to me now. On top of things, every episode, she is on her own investigating, and you're right, Nathan, the other doctor's a piece of shit on the Titan. She's the one investigating, making all the discoveries about the changeling, and she's, you know, they've evolved. They can now replicate complete organs. So that means they can pass all the blood tests, they can pass transporter, maybe transporters, I guess, or any other scans. And some of that is brought into the row aspect, because we're left second-guessing ourselves, is she a changeling or not? Because as Beverly is doing her investigation saying, oh, they've evolved, 
and scans may not reveal. The traditional ways of detecting a changeling may not be the same anymore. And she sends that little message to Picard while he's being interrogated by Ro. Ro cuts herself saying, hey, see, here's my blood. I'm the real Ro. So you're left second guessing. That's kind of interesting. I thought I'd ask you guys how this all played out. Jeff, I'll give you the honors. Ensign Roe, now Commander Roe, is back. Your thoughts? I love being surprised, and wow, I was surprised. What a great appearance. Didn't see it coming, and I'm so glad that they revisited her. And I mean, maybe there's a lot of questions, and maybe it won't be satisfying to a lot of people, but... I love Michelle Forbes. It was great to see her again. It was great to see Ro again. I, I loved it. And what I loved about it is that they didn't do the drum roll that you just asked for with the musical cue and, like, maybe the lighting, like, da 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 it's Ro. Like, no, she's just walking down the hall. I'm like, is that? Because it's been, you know, a couple decades. I'm like, is that Michelle Forbes? I'm like, oh, shit. And she's just there. It was great to have her. At first, I kind of thought she was an imposter. But as we learned that she's not, their conversation in the bar was great, was poignant. It felt really authentic. They got a lot out in a short period of time because obviously they don't have much with her. But that really worked for me. Like, there was that sense in TNG when she was on, you know, you know, for a couple seasons, a recurring character, and that sort of mentor-protege relationship that they had. But it, it kind of evolved past that. It almost felt, in a sense, like father-daughter. And now he's, you know, he's dealing with that, you know, the legacy and having that parental role. This is sort of the child that he lost. I thought it was great. I thought she was fantastic in it. What a way to raise the stakes as well. She goes out in a tough way there. I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. I, too, was, like, utterly surprised seeing her. Because I had not read anything about Michelle Forbes potentially showing up or anything like that. Although I, I don't really keep up on any of the, like, potential spoilers for the show before it came out. But anyway, seeing her there, I, too, thought that she was potentially a changeling after Beverly's <laughs> discovery. And I just sort of think, like, a lot, a lot of their conversation was actually, like, really good as far as, like, that... I guess, reconciliation that they needed to have that never happened in TNG. Because that was seasons. That was the last season, I think, that she was. Season the seven was the betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was actually like a really smart move to have her come back in a way that can kind of have those two characters sort of like have the reconciliation that you never had in the show. So, so I thought that was well done. Yeah. And Michelle Forbes, you know, like she was definitely bringing it as the character. It's crazy. Everyone's like slipping right back into the roles so yeah. well in this show. But I guess like her explanation of like the potential conspiracy that's kind of going on, like it really reminded me of the parasite invasion as well. The episode conspiracy. Yeah. The episode yeah. conspiracy. I actually, yeah. I actually wrote that down. Is there another yeah. thing here? Is that, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be the case, but the way this season's going, they're dropping every loose thread mm -hmm. into this series, and that's another unresolved little threat. Where those yeah. creatures? And yeah. I'm wondering if that's another thing that's coming down the pipe here. That'd be like cramming in too much. Are like, they not already cramming in too much? I'm going to bring that up in a second. Well, I guess we'll see, actually. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the idea of, like, yeah, like them kind of taking over. It's funny. You guys, I don't think I've ever brought this up, but, like, I have a group of friends. This is quick. Yeah, a group of friends that play, I play Dungeons and Dragons with, and we switched over to playing the Star Trek role-playing game, and then the first adventure we played is takes place in the next-gen era, maybe more around, like, the Voyager era years. 
but it's like the parasites have come back and but you know they've taken over like Romulans and Klingons and like trying to take over the Federation stuff I started getting some of those vibes here and I thought like why are they using changelings versus like the parasite thing which was like a, such a it's such a fan favorite villain that they just never revisited so anyway I mean, that's a good point. I think, like, thematically, they're revisiting that. As far as, like, the choice of creature, I think that was one episode. Well, it was more than one episode. It was only one episode where we saw the yeah. bugs. I think I would prefer that over Changelings, to be honest. But that's well, okay. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how. I, it goes. Just, I mean, I don't. I don't think we're going to see those bugs. I don't think this is part of that. I just. I just think if you're making the choice, like you know what, like that was one episode. and There's these weird bugs. Let's use Changelings. That's a little broader, and they can do a bit more with the cat and mouse stuff on the. On yeah, the and things like that. yeah, I think I think the Changelings are like more threatening. Like ultimately, the parasites were not. I just wanted another admiral to like roundhouse kick Riker or Warren, <laughs> and then and then, eat some, and then eat some it does wonders for the body. <laughs> that is a really good episode, actually underrated. And then you get the screamers headshot where the head blows up with yeah. the, the face room, and, and then the chest cavity opens up and the creature oh, comes out. Yeah. I needed one of those. I just that wanted is... the admiral roundhouse kick. That's what I wanted. I would like that. Cat. Yeah. Not just the Admiral Roundhouse kick, but the geriatric Admiral. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Vitamins. That guy was like 88 years old. You could have given Picard a great scene right there. Yeah, yeah, Picard's yeah. the one who's doing the Roundhouse yeah. kick. That's right. That'd be incredible. Oh, boy. It is too bad they never really closed the loop on that, but I like the, like thematically that they didn't really have the opportunity to really play that out. That was a really good episode. And so I'm kind of, I'm into it, man. Like they're essentially doing what they couldn't do back then now. Such a cool idea. So I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to see it. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, I, I just more, more or less kind of trailed off, but. I mean, I, I just think that her bringing, like, the whole conspiracy to Picard, I feel like, okay, we're at episode five, we've got, I guess we got five more episodes. I sort of feel like this is, I don't know, I'm a little mixed on, is this where we're going to bring in that particular twist of there's of Starfleet is being... Well, not assimilated, maybe the wrong villain for that, but you know what I mean, like the, like being infiltrated this way. Mm. Is this the right episode to kind of do that? I don't know. I felt kind of mixed on that, even, but I like the general idea of it. But the thing, though, too, is that like bringing in the changelings and stuff like that and, and kind of like more DS9 elements, I really like that, but I sort of wish we would just sort of kind of get to it, you know, like can we just sort of get to the point a little bit more quickly so we can have more... I guess, like, a little more drama without, like, having all this drama and then, like, oh, and now the changelings are back and they're taking over the Federation. If I may, how counterpoint. As I was watching... No, Jeff, you may ask. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Actually, I say that all the time. Oh, you um, do? When, when people say, like, can I ask you a favor? I always say, well, you may ask. Do you, you have to do it the right way. with the. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, okay, good. With, I mean, it's usually over Zoom, but I do it all the time. Excellent. Excellent. All the time. Uh, bravo, sir. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain movie lines that are in my DNA. This is part of my personality now, as, as are, I'm sure, of the two of you, because uh, we're a bunch of nerds, and that's how we roll. I have found that I'm unable to do that in my current job. No one I work with watches movies. 
Yeah, no, no. I do it to people who don't appreciate it. Nobody knows that it, but I still do it, you know? Like, I don't care. Yeah, I know. I get it. People just won't get it. That's all. that's fine. The one I use the most is, this is off topic, and we can edit this out later, but... No, no, it stays in. Keep going. There's a line from, so in Pulp Fiction, when John Travolta and Uma Thurman are having dinner in the diner, in the, like, the old... 50s diner. You know, John Travolta says something and she's like, oh, you're pretty smart. And he's like, yeah, I got my moments. I say that all the time. I say that all the time. Nobody's talking like, oh, Pulp Fiction. I'm like, no, I know you don't. But like, I can't not say it. Same as the, you may ask. Like, it's just a part of my DNA now. So yeah, you may ask is one of mine. I also do the, hey, kind of I'm saying it the wrong way. Hey, it's me. You know, the Han Solo thing when he says it to Luke. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, I do that. And then I also do Quint. No. <laughs> I like, I don't. It's like if the Flames lose, like, how do the Flames do today? I go, Quint? No. See, when the Flames lose, I'm like, you're going to need a bigger boat. I try to work in, you're going to need a bigger boat as much as I can, but it's less. And people are like, what are yeah. you talking about a boat yeah. for? Yeah. All right. Never mind. Right. But what were we? Oh, Star Trek. Okay. Oh, yeah. What was I? I remember what I was getting at. So as Nathan was saying, I think as kind of you guys are both talking about art, is it too much? Are they layering in too much? And Nathan was saying, like, can we just get to the fucking point already? What this episode really made me think about was aliens the movie <laughs> like well <laughs> aliens I hope, no, no. at what point did star trek make you start thinking about it? <laughs> yeah i was like wow what an insight Good it job. only took 30 years <laughs> <laughs> oh they're from outer space there you go yeah. bravo so i just watched aliens a couple weeks ago. And one of the things about that movie that marvels me, and Cameron's really good at this, but Aliens is like his top cheddar version of this, which is every kind of moment, the stakes escalate and the tension escalates. And it's kind of the frog in a hot plate metaphor where the heat's turned up so slowly that you don't really notice it until you're ready to fucking explode. And Aliens is like that. Only, I mean, you're kind of aware of it because it's a tense movie. And it's just a little bit more and then a little bit more. And maybe we're going to give you a nope, little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And it never lets its foot off the gas. And it just escalates, 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 escalates until you're ready to fucking lose your mind. You're just white-knuckling your way through the end of that. And when I was watching this episode, and yeah, it's a lot, but what's great about this season of Picard is they're doing the same thing. You get an episode, you get character work, you know, they, they're, they're doing what they're doing, and they, they just they bump the stakes up a little bit higher, and then a little bit higher in the next episode, and then it's a little bit higher, and we're going to give you a little bit break. But nope, but there's this other thing going on. It is a lot, and it is a tricky, tricky story storytelling line to walk, but I really enjoy having that slow ratchet up of the stakes and the tension at the same time because of it. So I can agree with you, Jeff. Yeah, I agree with that statement 100%. I think where Nathan's coming from, though, because I'm kind of right in between you guys, what they've done so far is excellent in comparison to the previous two seasons. They're building the tension and the stakes every episode and inserting additional clues and layers, which is great. That's fine. That's what we should be seeing. Now we're in episode five. Now we're saying, seeing now Starfleet's completely compromised, but you have five episodes left to go. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's where Nate could be a bit worried, and maybe I could, anyone could be a bit worried, is then now we might have a second half that could drag for a couple of episodes. 
Like, well, like dragon. Because now you're seeing Starfleet's compromise, right? Yeah. So, like, if you want to find out more about that, now we're just going to go to Daystrom because they're moving, right? They're in warp. So they're going to probably head. Now they're met warp. We'll talk about that. He's investigating all the stuff about Daystrom, got the clue, another clue from the gangster Vulcan. I'm sure they're all going to meet at Daystrom, and that's where Lore will be. And Jordy's probably going to be there. But there's still the bigger play of Starfleet's completely compromised. And maybe figuring that out could be dragged. It just sort of feels like by the end of episode three, we could have had everything with Rafi and Worf and Picard and Riker meeting up with Beverly and Jack. And then maybe at the very end of episode three, it's like, okay, like changelings are kind of in the mix sort of thing. Uh, And well, I guess that's exactly what we got. It was it. Like, but what structure, but like it hasn't dragged yet. No, I made this comment before where it's like, the other two seasons, you kept waiting for something to happen. We got to episode five and fucking nothing had happened yet. And now we're at episode five and holy shit, all this stuff has happened. Like, what are we worried about? That too no, much has happened and they're not going to, they don't have enough runway to resolve it or. Or they might have too much run- well, this runway. Well, what I was saying, but what I did say is I was a little mixed as to whether or not, like, should we have had that earlier or now? I don't know. I just. Well, I, yeah. That's, yeah, that's I, fair. We, and we can only make that judgment once the season's done. Like, yeah, the first yeah, five episodes okay. were, you know, up here and then it petered out. Like, we can't, we can't tell yet, right? Yeah. Okay. Let me talk a little bit about Ro. Okay, so I was just as surprised as you were. The unfortunate thing is there was a picture on an entertainment website. Like, I wasn't clicking any articles to read, but they showed the picture of fucking Oh, Ro. fuck. Uh, why that. would they fucking show the picture? Because they Ro. hate you. They hate yeah. us. So it's like, and then the nice thing about it is, is that underneath they reveal the title of the episode, which is Imposters. Then I closed mm. the website down. That's why I was saying, at yeah. least through the episode, you were still second-guessing yourself. Yeah. Is she a changeling or not? Because it was talking about imposters, and the changeling threat is there. So at least I had that to still but you knew she was through. But I knew she did. was in this episode. Oh, oh, and that's just today. Motherfuckers. Oh. Show some other fucking picture. Why are you showing Roe? I didn't click yeah. on the article. So it's you like, gotta like, yeah, there's sites you can't go to because you can't trust that they're not going to do shit like that. Like, yeah, I mean, I know, fuck. I feel for it's, that. Yeah, so it's, that sucks. So I liked Michelle Forbes, just like Linda Hamilton in the last Terminator movie, though. I do think it took her a tiny bit of time. She didn't step right back in to where I could recognize this is Roe. Probably played on purpose by Forbes because they're trying to have the audience second guess is she a changeling or not. Mm. So finally, once that is resolved, you see her kind of be a little bit row in her last couple of scenes with Picard, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So I liked that. So good job by Michelle Forbes considering that. But I have a bone to pick. This season should not have been about changelings. You're bringing Michelle Forbes back? The whole fucking season could have been about Roe. That's my take. I've always wanted either a movie, and because she didn't have the star power, so a movie's not going to have her as a villain. And I'm not saying she has to necessarily be a villain or an antagonist. But imagine a whole season crafted. Instead of Picard and his fucking son, which I'm still not the biggest fan of, he's lost his family, as we've known about. He's the yearning for what could have been, and he still has that loss. You just talked about kind of like a father-daughter mentor kind of relationship with Ro, and he she betrayed him. And that could have been all, a whole season's worth of great storytelling. And Michelle Forbes is a boss. Why didn't we get this as a season? And the whole crew is here. They all love and know Ro or have a beef to pick with her after what happened. This was completely rushed to me. 
I liked what I saw, but at the same time, I'm mad as hell, and I don't like how they just off they fridge the character just for an Easter egg. Now, that's kind of what it is. It's an Easter egg cameo because it's another loose thread. Oh yeah, good. What about Row? All right, let's throw her in there. And then I know you like the fact that yeah, it ups the stakes. Upping the stakes is not killing off Row. Upping the stakes is killing off one of the major. TNG characters. Well, so I hold didn't on. feel that. That's my take. It's a hot no, take. Hold on a second. If you think she's so important that they could do all of that, then killing her off is upping the stakes because we do care about her. It's a yes and no thing. It's not man. killing. I mean, it's not like killing off Jordy. Like, yeah, that would raise the stakes. Which they, you know, they're not going to do. So this is a beloved character that I know. But I mean, when you throw her it, in just for like, you know, like she's on the whole episode. She's in it for twenty yeah, minutes. She's in it. It's not a cameo. She's in it. Well, that's a cameo. Twenty minutes. No, 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 no. It's not a cameo. Is a, is a scene. Cameo is a scene. We don't need to get into the semantics. I, I, of I, cameo I, is a scene. I got a bone to pick with. I'm not sure how I feel. If I put big question marks here, how do I feel? Well, how and do you I feel? Because they're not doing a whole season with Anson Rowe. Like, they never were going to do it. They're going to bring her back. At least they I gave hope, her something to do. And I they made it I matter. They made I hope it I feel fine. That's your answer. Yeah, I know you feel. You hate Italian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my take. So so you shouldn't have brought her back at all, is what you're saying. I mean, I'm glad I saw Roe. I'm glad that she and Picard had a moment of reconciliation. But you'd rather they didn't, though. That's what you're saying. But it's so quick. It's fleeting. Of course it's quick. It's one episode, and then they... But they close the... They give but, resolution but, okay, to that storyline. My question to you is, don't you think instead of what we're seeing here... Now I see Roe. Don't you think they could have crafted a whole season of Picard and crew versus Roe or dealing with Roe? Interesting idea that she might have been the villain of an episode. Would that have been great? Sure. But we also know that it's too late. For- Chance to bring back Cisco. Another- it's the final season. We know that, man, if they could figure out how to bring Avery Brooks. I know. We talk about it every episode. That's how important it we is. We do. Well, I just, I mean, it's just as an intellectual exercise, I'm curious. I'm like, man, could, <laughs> could they do it? Could Is it possible? Anyway. Like, that ship is Can you force no- a man to be in a TV show against his will? <laughs> I just don't think that's fair to the episode or to her or to the show, like, you can't do a whole season with her. It's I done. It's over. This is the last season. Like, that's just not fair to the moments. I just don't think that's... It's too quick. Then have that's her here longer, and then kill her off, and I think it would have more of an impact. It's just so yeah. she's in, and she's out. Yeah, I could give you that. Like, give her, give her like, two, three episodes. Like, have her show up two episodes ago and... Yeah, and then oh shit! Like I thought she was a part of this. Yeah, I think that would play a lot better for me. Here it's like I got a few quick scenes and she's dead. And I don't think I I don't think that does justice to the character. You know what? She had her moment with Picard. Exactly. What about everyone else? No, but she didn't really have. I mean, Riker maybe. Riker wanted to. But like, did she need a scene with Beverly? Why not? Why not? Because they never talked. They never had a thing before. Anyways, I can only tell you how I. That's that's my that's. I just wasn't sure you had feelings, though, so I'm just glad to hear that part. <laughs> <laughs> There's some self-improvement the, every... The emotion ship isn't malfunctioning any longer. That's, that is... It's just angry all the time now. It's angry, yeah. It switched, it switched to Major Kira mode. I'm like Data in that episode. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> That's what I say at work yeah. all the time. Stop. Stop. Stop it. Right. Stop. That's correct. 
Okay, so Ro dies, but she leaves Picard the earring, which has all of her investigation on the infiltration of the changelings in Starfleet. I'm sure they'll get into it a little bit more, but I guess through the earring, she's the handler of Worf. Worf's a handler. She's a handler. So then Worf is contacting, I think he's contacting Ro, but he meets up with Picard and Riker, and they have a little quick scene, and then the end is Jack Crusher again. I can't recall what happens at the end. He's like having more visions again right at the end. And again, I'm wondering, I wrote down, are these like supernatural powers from Beverly fucking that ghost in Sub Rosa? Could be. It'd be all green. It'd be green. (laughs) Yes. That's right. That's what it should be. That's why he has that weird English accent. There. (laughs) Oh, there you go. He is possessed. So what'd you guys think of just the ending of this episode here? Any other thoughts? Oh, his full like John Wick moments. Yeah, and he goes to Beverly. I don't know what's wrong with it, but something's wrong with it. That's where it ends, I think, right? Yeah, I just see that red door. I want to paint it black. I don't know what it is. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, it is weird. Any other thoughts? Or do we want to just, you know, talk about our getting the final thoughts here? Got nothing really to say about the red door. or anything. It's like, okay. I mean, it's... I already uh, said my joke. It's fine. I didn't get the reference, but that's okay. Oh, it's okay. It's a song by some band that's super-duper famous. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm just uh, fucking with you. It's uh, I know. No, I, I know you're fucking with me. It's all good. Again, bravo, sir. Look up the song Painted Black. I really liked how Roe took out the nacelle there, and, you know, they got to convince. They're like, I like Riker. He's like, you don't need to trust us. Look at your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean, you motherfucker, do you finally That's, do you finally not no. know all these changelings on your ship? <laughs> Actually, and, you know what was and what now was this great is when they're going down in the turbolift before they meet Roe and Shaw's humming because yeah. he's like, I can't thing. wait for you guys to get fucked. I can't wait for you guys to get arrested. This is awesome. I just thought that was great, very funny. I mean, he's such an asshole, and it is bordering on the like unbelievability of being an asshole, but I don't care. I'm here for it. So this is an interesting piece as well, is like now they're being hunted now. They're fugitives on the run. Got kind of like that idea. I think the idea of that dynamic should be a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully. But again, yeah. I'm worried it's a bit much. Now you have all of these potential, because Riker says they're all going to come for us. So it's, he's going to have Starfleet, you're going to have Vatic and Changelings, and it's yeah. like, yeah. Stakes are, yeah, but stakes are there. They're raised. So Yeah, I mean, I'm into it. I, I was thinking about, and Harry, you kind of said this before and I forgot, which was was that, you know, the season's moving along in a pretty good clip, and I'm like, they kind of need a chill episode, but that was actually episode four, and I already forgot about that. The only thing that I yearn for, and I yearn, is they can't do it. The structure of the series, they can't do it. It's just like a one-off episode. That's Star Trek, where they go and, you know, Strange New Worlds, go and do some exploration stuff, but that's not what this is. No, and that's okay. That's fine. But yeah, I do yearn for that. I wish we had a season like that with a nice two-parter ending with maybe minor clues that wrap up in a two-parter. That would have been cool. But yeah, to know that they've basically, they squandered two years of the show, maybe one and a half because there were decent episodes of season one, but they squandered so much of what this is. It just makes you think of like, you watch the season. It's like, fuck man, like what could have been, you know, what could have been? This is good. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's just quickly, like in the last couple minutes here, let's wrap this up. Your thoughts on episodes individually, episode four, what you think, episode five, and that's it. So, Nathan, honors yours. Go first. Yeah, I think for both four and five, I think overall, I enjoyed it, all quibbles aside. Yeah, I'd recommend you know both of them. I think that they, I think as individual episodes, they actually kind of hold up. And it's one thing I do like about the series so far is that the episodes themselves actually are like, have a little bit more of like beginning, middle and end. I think a lot of TV 
series right now kind of fall in this trap where it's just like, well, I'm just watching a six hour movie. I couldn't mm. really define like any one episode. This episode had like, it was a definition to this episode and same with, with episode four. Okay. So recommend both of them. Yeah, I'd recommend both. Okay. Jeff. Or actually I'll go. Jeff, get the last word. While I do agree that episode four, we needed a bit of a chill or breather episode, so I'm glad we got that. And episode five, you know, we're raising the stakes a little bit more. There's lots to like in, in both episodes. A lot of questions and nitpicks I have on both. Still, I, I do think that these two episodes are a step back for me from the first three episodes. So I'm not in love with these two episodes, but I do still recommend them, especially in comparison to what we got in the previous two seasons, which were atrocious. These two episodes are not atrocious, so that's all I got. And still looking forward to the rest of the season there. So, Jeff, you get the last word. There's two levels working for me here. So the first one is that I really enjoy the show. It's not perfect, and it has problems, but for all the problems, kind of don't care. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if I'm going through whatever it is, a TV show, movie, a book, looking at a painting, which I know we all do all the time, the best stuff isn't the stuff that's flawless, isn't this perfect shit. It's the shit that succeeds despite the flaws that it has inherently. Star Trek is kind of like that often, and this show's on that level for me. Yeah, it's got fucking problems, man, but the fact that I'm in on it and it's still really good, like, that kind of tells you how good it is that I'm willing to just be like, yeah, that's fine. It succeeds despite its flaws. That works for me. It's great. I'm so happy with it. And then the other level on it is I'm so excited to do the show with you guys because there's so much to talk about. We don't agree about lots of it, and we agree about lots of it. It's so much more fun to talk about it. I don't think we did reviews of Season 2 of Picard, Harry. I don't remember. I don't know if we did no, Season no, 1. No, no, we did a Season 2, one episode at the after yeah. it finished. Right. But we did Season 1. Did Which it? was still fun, even yeah. though we were... It was a drag, even though it was a slog. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. It was so fun to talk about. It was fun to talk about, but it was a slog. But this, it, it's like, it's so much more fun to talk about. So, yeah, watch, I mean, watch it. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're fucking watching the show. Do I recommend it? Yeah, man, they're doing awesome stuff on here. It's not perfect. And, you, you know, you, if you can get over that, then you're going to have a hell of a time. And just really happy that after five episodes of this, we're not hoping it's going to get good like we were in the first two seasons. Like, okay, man, they're going to turn it around. <laughs> gonna turn it around. They got this. They got this. They didn't got this. But this season, like so far, so good. Halfway done. So far, so yeah. good. Yeah. A couple things could be better, but pretty good so far. All right. Just to call it a night, guys, as we're at an hour and a half here. So that's it for today. We'll be back in two weeks to review episodes six and seven. Jeff, you'll run that show. So uh, I guess that's a pod, boys. Right on. This is podcasting. I can't get the line right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Now this is podcast. This is podcast. Yeah, this is podcast. There we go. There we go. Get it better. You got, no. All right. You guys have yourselves a good night. All right. All right. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>